to step into her glorious destiny and God is empowering a people to spearhead that agenda. Be blessed as the mandate here passed on to Pentecost stirs your heart. People come to ask you, what is your secret? It is when everything is shaking, that which cannot be shaking will remain. I want to see the kingdom. There is a movement called the kingdom movement. We are talking about family and if there is Anything I would like to talk about, uh, maybe today and tomorrow, that I will be among you, it is understanding the, the concept, the spiritual concept of family. Um, so many things have been taught about family, and so many things have been taught in scripture about family, and the scripture is full, is filled with um, verses and, um, and teachings and doctrines about family. As a matter of fact, it is clear through scriptural doctrine that family is God's primary institution for, for coordinating and mentoring creation. Family is God's primary institution for ruling and coordinating creation. I, I can tell you that from many portions of scripture that God never had any, any intention to have any other institution on earth if not family. You must have heard that repeatedly in several teachings that when creation was done and God was done with creation and resting, it was clear that it was just one institution he set up and that institution was family. There was no institution like um, religion. There was no institution like um, 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 economy, education. All of that, none existed. The Lord's intention from that Genesis chapter 1 to 3 before the fall of man was that creation, no matter the evo- how creation will evolve, no matter how big and large creation is going to evolve in all of the future that was lying ahead of creation, that God was going to manage creation, mentor creation, organize, rule creation, you know, administer creation through the institution called marriage and family life. And that was why he established it from the very beginning. Uh, no wonder that it has become the strongest institution under the attack of Satan. And so Satan won't let anything called family to prevail. So in order to destroy family, he's giving us alternative versions of family concepts. So we see all kinds of things, all manner of aberrations today that is called family. And it goes a long way to open our eyes to understand that there has been a lot of deviation from what the Bible calls family. And, and today, part of the destruction of, what the, of, of family is civilization, modernization. Are you, are you following me? Part of the destruction of what the Bible calls family is civilization, modernization, and all of that. So today, our society today is called a postmodern society. So, the postmodern world has a lot of adopt, uh, things that have been adopted. So many adopted concepts, so many adopted ideologies that are humanistic, man made, humanistic ideologies. It's not spirit inspired, it's not scripturally inspired, it's not Bible inspired, it's not God inspired. 
but it sounds nice to the appealing voice of logic. Are you understand what I'm saying now? It sounds nice to logic. It sounds nice to the to the postmodern mind. It sounds good, you know. And um, all of those things comes to to bring a subtle but systematic destruction to the principle that God has set in place that is called family. As a matter of fact, if you really want to understand God's concept of the family, you read scripture. But because learning has to do with a lot of models, examples, and practicals. Because if you are, if you are learning in school system and you do a lot of theories and you don't do practical, you may not get the, the real knowledge, right? And so, even in my own field, we do a lot of practicals for you to be certified that you are now good enough to be, to be licensed to, to handle people's lives. So you must do a number of things practically to prove the theoretical knowledge. And so it became clear that, that we have a lot of theories in the Bible that is subject to a thousand interpretation. I hope you know that. Anybody can interpret the Bible. Anybody can make the Bible say what he wants. That's the challenge. Anybody can make the Bible to say what he wants and not what the Bible is saying. The Bible is birthed by the Spirit of God and it is only the Spirit of God that can interpret it. Are you listening to what I'm saying now? And so I pray for you that the Spirit will so breathe life into you so that the Word can come alive in you. In the name of Jesus Christ. So that you will never approach Scripture because this Scripture, you don't approach it with scholarship. No. You don't approach Scripture with scholarship, education. No. The Bible is meant to be approached with surrender, not scholarship. Can you hear what I'm saying this evening? Yes. So, you approach it with the intention to do what it says and not to interpret what it says to suit what you want. It's surrender. Holy Spirit, what are you saying? Can I have a revelation of this? This is what I think this scripture is saying. But my thoughts, my thoughts is, is limited. My thoughts is mortal. My thoughts is, is restricted to the realm of mortals. Can you, O oh Holy Spirit, open my eyes further to reveal what this thought is saying? And if he opens your eyes to reveal the things that he saying, you will discover that so many things we borrowed from the Western world and call it marriage and call it happiness and call it show of love is not what God is saying. Am I talking to somebody this evening? It's not what God is saying. And so where do we get the practical session for all of the spiritual theories in scripture? Where we get the practical session is to go and look at the people, the people that God used as his template for scripture. I hope you know that the scripture and the history of scripture was the life and times of a particular set of people. Am I, am I, are you following what I'm saying? The scripture, the Bible, was the life and times of a particular set of people whom the Lord chose as a template, as a template pattern or prototype to interpret his intentions. And so, a better way to start analyzing something spiritually is to begin to go down to say, okay, can I study about the template people, the prototype people that God was using to set up this thing he called his institution. So, who are the template people or prototype people? They, they are called the Jews. Am I correct? The Jews. And if you read scripture, you will discover that the first man that was called a Jew was by the name of who? Abraham, according to scripture. Because in the book of Genesis, in chapter 14, verse 13, that was the first place they call him the Hebrew. Abraham was referred to as a Hebrew. 
Genesis chapter 14. Look at verse 13. You know, and, and Abraham, the Hebrew. Genesis 14, 13. Did you see that? And one who had escaped came and told Abraham. The what? This is the first time the word, the Hebrew, was, was appearing in scripture. So, the first man of a tribe called Hebrew was by the name Abraham. He's the first man. What does Hebrew mean? Hebrew means the, the people from the other side. So, it's like Ivri. The, the real Hebraic rendering of the word Hebrew is Ivri. Ivri. So, what does Ivri mean? People from the other side. People from the other side of the mountain. They are not people of this nativity. They are not people of this territory. Although they are in this territory, but they came from somewhere. Don't you think you are, you are spiritually a Hebrew? Turn to your neighbor. Tell him, don't you think you are from the other side? Does it make sense to anybody here? Is it making sense to anyone? Turn to your friend. Tell him you are from the other. You are, you are not from here. Tell him you are not. You are from the other side. You are from the other side. That is why scripture said it. Scripture called you Hebrew in principle. He said you are of this world. But you are not. Though we are in this world. But we are not of this world. In principle. You know, God is consistent. God is perfect. His intentions never changes. Through times and history and even eternity. Whatever happens from the foundations of the world, when everything is going to come to the end, at the end of time, you will see that God is consistent with his intention from the foundation of the world until the end of time. And so whatever he sets in place, look at it carefully, in it lies and hidden or encoded his principles and his plans. You will know them if you really focus. And so, the first time he was called the Hebrew, it was in that Genesis chapter 14. And the meaning of that Hebrew, the people that escaped came to tell Abraham, the man from the other side. Not, not, not the man belonging to us. He has no culture. He is not part of our culture. He is not part of our way of life. He came from at the other side with his own kind of thinking, his own kind of tradition, his own kind of culture. I pray for you. May this your world not define your way of life for you. Yes, so when it comes to family, please be careful about the noise going on all over society and the things that are called, that are called um, um, the, the postmodern or the modernized or civility in quotes because those civilizations may not give us what scripture is saying. Remember, that the first civilization that rose in the Bible was called Babylon. It was a civilization by Nimrod. Are you following what I'm trying to say? It was by Nimrod. So he's the first person that brought a new, or what you call, new civilization, new religion, new culture. And everything he brought that was coming from man was contrary to the plan and will of God. And that was where everything began. Are you, are you following what I'm saying now? And so anything that comes from man is falling already. Anything that comes from Adam generates death, begats death, and will produce death, no matter how beautifully packaged it appears. Am I speaking to someone? It must produce death. Doesn't matter how beautifully packaged it is. So, that's how it is. This evening, I, I, I and my wife, we just went out, and we're sitting somewhere, in the, you know, relaxing, and, and then they just put something, and, um, and, and 
she looked at it and I saw that she was disgusted. And what was, what, what was that? It was this wrestling. Was it wrestling? Yeah, it was wrestling. Kickboxing, they were wrestling, you know, rising and fighting. So she was disgusted with that. And I said to her, yes. And she said, this, she wasn't happy with, and I looked at it and I said, yeah, the reason why this, we are watching this is because over the years, the new paganism and new civilization has programmed our mentality and mindset to call it entertainment. And because there is a programming, if there is anything God will do in this meeting as we go on, it is to deprogram every satanic programming around your life in Jesus' name. Now, when I say satanic programming, you don't want to say amen. Because you don't think you're under any satanic programming. That's why you are really under one. Because it is when you think you are not under one, that's when it is working. Can you hear what I'm saying this evening? There's a man I studied. I'm coming back to this. this. There's a man I studied. They they call him Freddie Goodman. Freddie Goodman is a man that did a lot of work on magic. He 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 is deeply enshrined in magic. And he wrote a book on magic and he said that signs and symbols or the manipulations of magic has power in itself. But it has the capacity to manipulate the mind of a man. And he began to describe the degree of capacity that magical spells can manipulate men. He began to describe it from his world of magic. And he described it from three levels. He said level one is a level of knowing that this is a spell and knowing what it means and knowing how it works. He said the moment you know that this is a spell, know what it means and know how it works, it loses his power on you completely. Did you hear what I said? Just by knowledge. You know, oh, this, this, this thing moving like this is a spell. See how it works. So, knowledge is the first demystifying factor that breaks satanism. Knowledge. Oh, I pray. In these days, God will increase you in spiritual knowledge. Amen. Yes, the revival we are going to see in the end time is the revival of knowledge. So, even in family building, is the revival of knowledge we are going to have. The first thing that destroys every satanic code and demystifies every satanic manipulation is knowledge. Of course, the Bible, the Bible said that my people perish for what? Lack of knowledge. And so ignorance is synonymous to darkness in scripture. Ignorance is synonymous to captivity. A people that do a people that sit in darkness have seen a great light. He was talking about the voice of John the Baptist coming to break those, coming to break the darkness of the silence of God over the period of the dark ages. So when Zechariah cried and said, A people who sit in darkness have seen a great light, and they that dwell in the valley of the shadow of death, a light has arisen upon them. He was referring to John the Baptist. But what was the light that John the Baptist carried? It was the knowledge of God he was bringing to a people who had never heard God. So the voice of God was about to be heard again among the, the habitations of men after a long season of the silence of God. That is the breaking through of knowledge in the midst of darkness. So the, the voice of John the Baptist pierced and penetrated through darkness and came as light. And even Zechariah the father saw in the spirit and knew that this activity of this man that will be happening in the wilderness as a voice crying in the realm of the spirit, it is synonymous to light entering darkness. I am just praying that in your own family, your voice will be synonymous to light penetrating darkness. Lay hands upon your head. Lay hand upon your head. It's it's not too, too big to demand for. It's, 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 the, it's the right is the right of access for every child of God. Declare. Declare your spirit. Say, say, say my voice. My voice shall become light penetrating darkness. 
in my family, in my place of origin, my voice shall become light in the realm of the spirit, penetrating darkness. Say amen. amen. And so these are the clear things I just wanted to lay down for us to understand. And so knowledge. So he defined the second level of manipulation. He said, when you know that this is a spell, but does not know what it means, and does not know how it works, it has a great power to manipulate that one. And he said that the third level is, when you don't even know it is a spell at all, let alone knowing what it means, or knowing how it works, that such level of ignorance allows that spell to have, to have its maximum manipulation. So, he defined the power to break evil by, by the degree of knowledge and ignorance. Are you following what I'm saying? So, it's a spectrum. Between knowledge and ignorance is a, is, is a process. So, the more, the more you gain knowledge, the more you approach light, the more darkness is far away. The, more you, the less you gain knowledge, the more you are in the, in the section of ignorance, the more you are closer to darkness. And it was very practical. The Bible has said so. I don't need a magician to tell me that. Even the Bible said it. Are you listening to what I'm saying now? For the people perish for lack of what? Knowledge. So I look at that, and I began to tell my wife a story. I just started telling her a story. I reminded her of a message I preached in chapel, in chapel of redemption unique nine years ago. Nine years ago, and it was in chapel, I think I, t- I told that story. And I was talking about the origin of those things like wrestling, boxing, all of those violence, that, those orgies, sadistic orgies that we call entertainment. I was telling her the origin, that everything has an origin. And if you, if you can trace it to the origin, you can tell the spirit behind it. Are you understand what I'm saying now? If you can trace it to its origin, to its source, then you can tell the spirit that is sustaining it. And everything was there. The, the ancient Rome, the ancient Roman Empire, the people were, were entertained. The sadistic crowd were entertained by the gladiatorial fight in the Colosseums. Do you remember that story? That those were the origins. How, how, how slaves would be captured. And those slaves that are captured and, and, and maybe are useless, could not be sold, or the, the masters have no use for them. They are gathered and brought into the Colosseums and they are, and they are allowed to be eaten by wild beasts and lions. And while these beasts are tearing human beings, a colosseum, a stadium is sitting down, be cheering in entertainment and rejoicing. How can a beast tearing another human being be entertainment to you? Something is wrong with that mind that causes it entertainment. Are you understand what I'm saying now? Are you following me? Something is wrong. So it is the devil trying to destroy man made in the image of God that in God's image, he loves man that he does not even want to see one perish. The Bible says so. That the Lord would not even love to see one man perish. And so, the enemy had to devise games and, and, and sports, kind of sports, that will keep destroying man in our mind, so that in the end, everything that God created your mind to be, will be totally different from what he packaged you to be. And so today, violence has become part of our lives. And you can make do with it. As a matter of fact, there is a, there is a way you present violence and it will be celebrated. Am I correct? There is a way you present it, it will be celebrated. That's the fall of man. Oh, I don't want to go into history and things. It was with one man. If, if those things were genuine, 
God wouldn't have ended it. The Lord ended it with one man, one man by the name of Talamikos. Talamikos, a man he raised in a reclusive setting, in a reclusive setting in the monastery. He was born, bred, and brought up in the monastery. He had never seen the, the artificiality of the, of the ancient rooms and the noise of the city life. He was acquainted with silence and, and monastic environment where there is a reclusion and, and constant meditation and focus on God. That's the man, Talamikos. He knows how to pray. And he chooses silence. He loves very silent environment. And the Lord said to him, go to Rome. And, and Talamikos would not understand why God would ask him to go to Rome. A very noisy place. A very, no, he was not acquainted with the artificialities of the city life. The hustling and bustling of this. He was not acquainted with that. But when he turned to God to argue, the Lord said to him, give me your body. And God, and Talamikos turned to the Lord and said, how does going to Rome mean I giving you my, my body? And Talamikos turned to God and said, if you say give me your body, I will give you. If giving you my body means I should go to Rome, I will go. And he got up and started going to Rome. Entering Rome, he saw a crowd, a crowd elbowing their way into the Colosseums. Because he was such a small-bodied man, and he's, he's not acquainted with the strugglings in town. Have any have you know of you ever been to Ogbete in the evening when they are telling people to go and everywhere is um, some of you are city, city sons and daughters. I understand you don't go to such places. I, I was raised in the village so I have, I'm acquainted. You see the struggles in such kind of places. Talamakus was not acquainted with that kind of life. So the people were elbowing into the Colossus in their numbers to go and watch the gladiatorial fight. The gladiators. How muscle-bound men will be fighting themselves, clashing themselves and slaughtering themselves in, in, the, you know, in that place, entertaining a sadistic crowd of that orgies. And because he was small-bodied, involuntarily they pushed him into that Colosseum. Involuntarily. So, you know, he couldn't go against the crowd. So he, in order to maintain his school, he just, he, the crowd was just pushing him. So he was following the crowd and suddenly he was surprised that what was going to, what was going to befall his sight was, was that sadistic orgies of violence, hate, blood, bloodletting, killing, and slaughter was what was going to entertain him. He couldn't believe it. When he was watching, at the first instance of the fight, and the man took the weapon and sunk it into the chest of the other, and blood spilled, and the people yelled in joy. Talamikos lifted up his voice because he had never seen such a thing. He has been in a very reclusive, quiet monastery all his life. He never believed that humans can live that way. In the midst of, you know how those Colosseums are built. They are built with such a such 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 acoustic effect that a shout can echo in with that crescendo of sound. Even if you screech a, a piece of paper, you will hear it. That's the way they build it. So in that in that acoustic, you know, power of he lifted up his voice knowing a religious man, and shouted, in the name of Christ, stop this thing. In the name of Christ, forbear. In the name of Christ, forgive. He thought it was a quarrel. He started shouting. He has never seen such a thing before. In the name of Christ, forbear. In the name of Christ, stop this thing. Because the, the passion was so heavy on him, he never knew that that was the ministry. That was the mission God sent him to, do, to, to Rome to go and accomplish he didn't even know he had started his assignment. He never knew. The passion couldn't hold him on those stadium seats. He left the stadium seats, vaulted himself into the central arena. A place no, but no human beings don't go to. 
ignorantly he vaulted himself there, ran towards the muscle-bound gladiator and told him, please, in the name of Christ, forgive, forbear. The, and they looked at him. He became one side, one comical side show. You know, they were, and they were like, who is this small-bodied man that is coming here to waste his life? And right there, one of the, one of the gladiators just said, heave him through, kill him. And they just took despair. And sent it into the body of, of, of Talamikos. Pierced him in the chest. And blood started spilling out. When he fell without his small body. And crouched the small body over the spear. And the bloods are spilling out. The whole Colosseum was quiet. Who is this man? That is a Roman citizen. Not a slave. In the, in the stadium. That brought himself into this place. To kill himself like this. And waste his life like this. And while everybody was silent. The gladiators were, were, were silent. Everybody was watching him. Who is this man? The Colosseum was quiet for the first time. And they were seeing the blood coming out. And with the last breath in his life, he turned his head and said, In the name of Christ, stop this thing. And died. The Colosseum was silent. The first person got up and left. Second person got up and left. The third person got up and left. Many started leaving. Before you knew it, thousands started. That was how Gladiator ended. Everybody left the Colosseum that day. Because that word, in the name of Christ, stopped this thing. Was all that God needed from Talamikos on that day in the Colosseum. To end the wickedness that man had developed for himself and called it entertainment. A historian wrote... The name of the historian is Lecky. A historian by the name of Lecky wrote, he said, many factors were brought to bear, but the death of Talamikos crystallized the opposition that there was never any gladiatorial fight ever fought again in the Colosseums. So he died so that a season can end. With his blood, he closed that chapter. Man with civilization now developed an alternative kind of fight this time around, they may kill, they may shed blood, but you can fight like wrestling, boxing, all those violence, and they still call it entertainment. But the root is still satanic. I'm destroying somebody's theology. This, I'm destroying somebody's entertainment this afternoon, this evening. It's unfortunate. I took time to say all this because the same thing has happened to family, knowledge, and principles. Many ugly things have come up today. And they call it family. And so, I would, if I had the time, I would have loved us to dwell more on the Jewish family. And so, I'm going to talk about them. A young little girl was sitting at the top of one pile of baggage, you know, luggage, at a lobby. This was a section of the history of the Nazi party. I read a lot of histories because I'm a theologian and I'm an Anglican priest. And so, <laughs> so we do a lot of readings. You must do that. And so as a theologian who teach, you must, you must understand doctrine and teach doctrine from the concept of both history, empirical, empirical version, historic version, and all of that. And so, I was talking about, about this, these people that God set aside and made them template people for studying family system, the Jews. And I am talking about in the late 1930s, 
I will still go back to Abraham, Genesis chapter 14, where we read verse 13. But the same man of Genesis chapter 14, verse 13, the first man that was called the Hebrew, the one that came from the other side. Now, one of his great-granddaughters, one of his great-great-great-great-grand-grand-grand-granddaughters, a little girl, as late as 1931, 1934, can you hear me? Was sitting on the pile of baggage, luggage, in a, in a place that is like a lobby, like a hotel lobby. In the season when the Jews were under torment, in that torment that was called the Holocaust. You know that story very well. Okay, I will come back to that. It was so clear that her parents had run away, trying to escape from the killings and the wickedness of the Holocaust of that season. And so, they had escaped with this little girl. And so, they are trying to see if they can find a room, you know, register for their room where they can stay. So, a sympathetic lady, this was a history, captured the story, that a sympathetic lady was there looking at this little girl seated on their luggage and was waiting for the parents. Thought the girl was possibly stranded. And so, they... She felt that the girl that they were visiting the, the city or she was visiting their relative and, and had lost her parents. So he looked at the girl and said to her, Oh no, have you lost your parents? Are you alone? So the girl looked at her and said, No, we are going to live in this hotel room until we find a house. That they had just escaped. So the little girl was telling this sympathetic lady that was a passerby, We are going to live in this hotel room until we find a house. And he told her, my daddy had just escaped. We had just escaped from the, from the killing area and had come here. And so we are trying to, to, to settle somewhere. The lady that was a passerby looked at this little Jewish girl and said to her, oh, too bad. You don't have a home. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? That's, that this, is the, this is the high point of my story. He looked at the little, she looked at the little Jewish girl and said to her, oh, too bad, you don't have a home. To which the little Jewish girl replied, oh, no, we have a home. It's just that we don't have a house to put it in. Did you hear that? We have what? It's just that we don't what? To do what? To put it in. That underscored my, my thought. For the concept of family. How can a little girl know? And was able... It, she, is, she is a little girl of... They say she's 13. How can she be that powerful? At Sorry, a little girl of 9. She was powerful at 9. To tell an adult. Who was merely throwing an, a careless statement that didn't come from reasoning. To her. And tell her that, oh, you don't have a home. And she turned to the adult and said, no. With a smile on her face. We do have a home. It's only that we don't have where? A house. To do what? To put it in. I asked myself, how did this great granddaughter of a man called Ivory, a man from the other side, catch this kind of knowledge? I began to study something and I found out that those of you who study biblical history, you will recall that in those late 1930s, like I said, it was believed that an evil power of darkness had been unleashed upon Europe. 
And that evil power of darkness was led by a charismatic German dictator by the name of Hitler. You remember that story? I'm coming somewhere, so follow me. If I tell stories and I give you a scripture, it will sink well. I know that. And we'll pray. And then tomorrow we'll have a session. This charismatic young German dictator was a tyrant. He was so he, he was like he is like a demon on assignment, and he was initiating a solution as at then. He deceived the world and said that the solution he was initiating was a solution to solve the world's problem. And that solution to solve the world's problem was what the historians will later identify as Jewish Holocaust. What is Jewish Holocaust? That if you were able to wipe out all the Jews on earth, that the world would be a good place. So that the problem of the world are the Jews. Can you see the kind of concept a man communicated? And, you, and all of Europe bought into it. As at that time. And people believed that these people that were the hope of the world, solution of the world, in fact, the blessing of the world, God's gift to the world, the seed, the seed nation, seed people, seed family of God, that if the world was going to have many more families after the order of God, it is going to be by the template of these same people. Are uh, the same people that a man rose in charismatic move of demons in his life and was able to program the mindset of all of Europe and brainwashed humanity to believe that the same people blessed of God to transform the world have become the problem of the world. Does it, does it look like, does it, does, it look, does it sound familiar to your identity as a Christian and Satan? You are looking at me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you know where I'm heading? That a people... Our world is a place where the solution can be called the problem. And the problem will be called the solution. Uh, at, at least we are, we are deeply in that, in that kind of quagmire in Nigeria now. Am I correct? We are deeply in that kind of mess. And sometimes I wonder why we are even still existing as a nation. Yes, I wonder. How can this, how can this ugliness be going on? And we are still, we are still living is like the kind of grace upon this nation has never existed in the history of the world. I don't want to go there. It's heartbreaking. I don't know why. It is already 900 and something naira per, per dollar. Excuse me, is that not, ins- is that not crazy? So, why are you still normal? Look at your friend. Look at him. Ask him. Ask him. Why are you still? Why are you still normal? It's, it's a mystery to be to be unravelled. And so, when this theory was released, and the mind of men captured this all of Europe in the late 1930s, and it was believed that what he then called the solution of the world was that everyone known to be a seed of God's blessing will be annihilated. I'm heading somewhere. I'm talking about the power of family. I'm trying to tell you about a people that were destroyed, disintegrated. Every institution that makes, a li- that makes life better, as you were told, or as we were made to believe, was deprived them. Every institution that makes life better, that we are meant to believe today are the institutions that holds society. They never had one. Can you hear me? 
Give me an example. They, they, they never had access to education. Another one. Health, they never had access to it. Can you mention them? Just any one of them. Because in those days, you can't, they were being hunted. Take note of that. Those seasons, they were being hunted such that Jewish families will, when, when they were hunted and each time they are brought into those death trains, many Jewish families will be brought into the trains and they will be taken, taken to Auschwitz. And they know that when they are taking that ride on that train, it is their last ride to eternity. Because on arrival at Auschwitz, is either they are gassed in a gas chamber or that the children are used for experiment, you know, experiment by Joseph Mingler where he will be peeling them, peeling them off and using. So they knew that whenever they are captured and put in that train, it is their last ride into eternity. In that camp where they were, a, a lot of them were lying there lifeless. Some had become so slim, like bag of bones with a thin film of flesh covering them, kept on a slate of, of, of wood as their bed. And that was how that season was. Whereas, in the same time and season, those who escaped and were in hidden, hiding in, in places, in other suburb nations, hiding at that same season, we're still propounding and proffering solution to the world problem. They never had access to education, but they were still inventing things. Am I talking to somebody? They never had access to education, but they were still inventing things. They never... Now, let me, let me, let me say something. I was reading a document in Miami Dailies that was giving a report about the Nazi. They just did their 100 years and 100 years remembrance some years ago. I was, I was glued to the television that day. Those are the kind of things I watch. I don't have any idea about football. I'm not condemning football, okay? But please, feel free. Keep watching. For me, I have no idea. The kinds of things I watch, they, they are things. So I was glued to television that day. So I was following the history. I was opening historic documents, reading and watching. What am I watching for? I wanted to know. Why will these people go through such a thing and still become the greatest nation on the earth today? That the earth could not bring them down. How could they go through such challenge and still prevail? Can you hear what I'm saying this evening? How? I'm not talking about something that happened within a period of time. A whole season. So when I read the Miami Dailies, my, my head was challenged. I came on that serious challenge. That the Miami Dailies wrote something that was very challenging. And in that writing, he said that a Nazi who had syphilis was not, would not allow himself to be cured by salvation because it was a discovery of the Jews, Elrich. So at that time when the Holocaust was ongoing, there was a prevailing ravaging disease called syphilis. And, this, and syphilis was killing both the Jews and the, and, the, and the Germans and everybody. So everybody was under the plague of syphilis. So syphilis was actually the true problem of the world and not the Jews. Are you understanding what I'm trying to say now? And while that was still going on, a Jew by the name of Elrich has discovered the, the solution to syphilis. But because the Nazi had said that the Jews are the problem of the world, when they bring the drug for syphilis, it was a Jew that discovered it. He said, no, 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 I can't take it because it's, 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 it's a discovery of the Jews. And they were dying. Whereas the solution was there. People were taking it and surviving. So those who wanted to survive will go into hiding and take Jewish invention and drink, and have their health and life saved. And some of them started thinking. 
How can we be killing these people? Calling them the problem of the world. Yeah, they are the ones discovering what will take care of us and save our lives from death. Are you following what I'm trying to say? Those were the times great breakthroughs were being done. That even the, 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 the Nazi man will not even attempt to find out if he had syphilis because the, the lab investigation that will be used to discover whether it is syphilis was Wasserman. It was is another Jew by the name Wasserman. He discovered it. So even the investigation they will use to check whether he's a Jew that discovered it. Are you following my, my story this evening? It was so serious that a Nazi who has had disease will not use digitalis. Digitalis is the, is the foundational structure for treating heart disease. We have many variants now today. Dijoxin and all of, all of that. A, a Nazi that had heart disease will not take digitalis because it was developed by a Jew called Ludwig. Ludwig Trabo. One thing about them is that they, they keep their identity in everything they do. And I'm coming back to that. Because these are the things that will capture my story and we'll begin to pray. Ludwig Trabo discovered digitalis. And that will save men who are dying of heart disease. Even in our teaching, there is one kind of heart problem we call angina that was named after him, Ludwig Angina. It's a, it's a kind of heart pain. So when you hear, their names are their names are, are crested in many things all over the world. Certain things you call by name and say this is, you don't know, that thing you call is a Jewish name. It's the name of a Jew who discovered it. At that time, they had diseases like typhus. They had diseases like diabetes. I mean, that time, typhus, which is kind of the ancient pattern of typhoid and all of them, where was raiding people. Nobody could find out the solution. It was the Jews that, that discovered it who, by the name of Widal and Wales. And that's how we found out when you hear Widal test, Widal test, it today is very common. He's a Jew, Widal and Wales. Each one they get, they put their name on it, they stamp their identity on it because they knew they were fighting a system. They knew they were fighting an iron curtain. They knew they were fighting a hard wall. They knew they had the solution and they were determined to collapse the wall that was against them. But my, 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 my interest of focusing on this story was, why would, how did they make it that they had no institution? They had no access to institutions. But they were able to do this. I wouldn't talk about, I wouldn't talk about the, the other, other diseases that, that was prevailing by that time. But this whole thing happened until 1948. It was just 1948 that they became a nation. Am I correct? About 1948, that, that the Jews became a nation. By then, over 6 million Jews and about 15 million children had been killed you know, in, in Europe alone. Not to talk of other places that they were killed. So a whole generation had been wiped out. And in 1948, a nation was born. Somehow, they resurrected from the grave of history and became a nation in 1948. Now, my challenge was that while I was reading history and came to 1948 and said, oh, these people became a nation after 1940. The Holy Spirit reminded me and said, when did they scatter? When was the scattering? So I went back and found out that the scattering was actually in Bible times. So I found out that they scattered, they scattered around AD 30-something. 
That was when the scattering began. When, when in Acts of the Apostle, the people looked at them and said, these are the people that turned the cities upside down. And the persecution began and they started scattering. Started fulfilling what Jesus Christ said. And from that time, they had no nation. Before you knew it, Jerusalem was burned down. The temple was burned down. And then there was a scattering. And I checked that from that time till 1948, they never had a nation. And truly, historically, for 1,939 years, these people were without a nation. They were without a nation capital. They were without an institution. They were without states. They were without government. They were without political systems. They were without education. They were just scattered all over the nations of the world. For 1,939 years, there was no institution to help them. But history has it that in 1948, when they returned to their original land, Israel, every one of them still spoke their original language, Hebrew. They didn't lose it. I mean, as, as far as their original language, every one of them that returned still spoke their original language. Some of you here, just because you lived in Enugu, Enugu and went to one small university called UNEC, you are speaking English. You can't even speak your language again. Am I talking to somebody here? Am I talking to someone here now? Just because you are in Enugu here. Those in your village now, you are, you are feeling for them that you are in town. You are in city. Even when you go to, you can't speak, the, you speak English to them. My, my, my children now, I struggle to make sure they speak my language. Then my question was, how were they able in the midst of this scattering to sustain their language, their identity, their culture, everything was happening in family. The Jewish family is the strongest institution that can ever, that ever is the Jewish family. The secret of the Jews is their family, family structure. Are you listening to what I'm saying? They did the whole, the whole institution you think society will have. The Jewish man has it in his house. Education. Did they do home teaching? Home teaching. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Education. They do it. That was why without going to school, they were making discoveries. Doing research. Because they have a system that makes everything locked up in what is called family. Is someone listening to me here? How can a people stay scattered for 1,939 years and never lost their language? They came back in 1948 and it didn't take them anything to become a powerful nation. They didn't need orientation. They didn't need gradual development. Just in 1948, how many years ago? Today, which nation is most powerful in agriculture in the world? Israel. Let's talk about military power. Which nation is most powerful in military power? ICT. Which nation is most powerful in ICT? All of the United States ICT strength. They are the people that discovered it. Go to other nations. They are there holding nations and making nations work well. The Jews. The people from the other side. They don't seem to operate with the principle of those from this side. Something is speaking to them from another side. They are in another realm. And what is the secret of that realm they operate with? They seem to have a structure. Seem to build everything within somewhere called what? I can't hear. Within somewhere called what? Family. Family. 
Have I made sense this evening? Stand up, let us pray. Let us pray. Before you pray, you know I didn't quote any scripture. I will just quote one scripture. Let it be that as, a, as, as an Anglican priest, you stand on people who didn't quote scripture. It's, it's an offense. So let me quote one scripture. Because family remains their only institution. When, when they were scattered in strange land, that they had no access to environment, they had no access to education, in their homes, the father will sit over the children and begin to teach them principles. What were their education structure? What was their cultural structure? What was their moral codes? What was their ethical codes? It was the Torah. The five books of the Bible. The Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. These five books, every Jewish child must know it. And you don't need to go to any school. There was no school. You can't even go to school because there was no school. You come out, you are killed. So, they did the training at home. I'm telling you what our homes should look like. There should be camps. Camps where men are trained. Where generals, where generals are raised. That's home. That's the home. It's not a place for joke. Every one of them. And so, there was this tradition and culture that arose from their fathers. If you read Deuteronomy chapter 6, you will discover that every instruction that God gave Moses, he didn't say... He didn't tell Moses when he gave it. He said, give it to your children, to your children's children. And so, God's system of education with them was father to children, from children to children's children, from children. So, they, 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 you must maintain generational transition. That was why for 1,939 years, they were transferring language, transferring culture, transferring values, transferring ethical principles to children. That even when generation had died, the next generation that came up, children came back as a nation. And they didn't, they didn't need orientation. They started. They didn't need orientation. They carried it. They carried the spirit because it was passing down through them. In the day that the Passover was celebrated in the book of Exodus chapter 12, the Bible said that the father is to sit over the Passover. And when he kills the Passover and roasts the meat with bitter herbs, and then dry it when the family will be eating everyone should tie the kettle around his waist hold the staff in his hands put the sandals on his feet that the children will ask you why are we eating this way tell them it is the Lord's Passover because when we were captive in Egypt the Lord did so so and so and he will begin to educate them Say the education will be done on the dining table put it on Shall I not tell my plan to just to Abraham, knowing that he will teach it to his children and to his children's children? Shall I not reveal mysteries to him? So everything was meant to be passed in a family system and context and in a structure. Can you hear what I'm saying this evening? And we're not talking about something that is so, so light or so small. It was so powerful that it could sustain them and make them a powerful nation. Even when there was no education. It could sustain them and make them a powerful nation. Even when there was no, no, no westernization. 
in Egypt, I mean in Israel, the family structure, you don't marry who you love. No, you love who you marry. If, if, you, if you inquire of the Lord through the, the Hebraic pattern of marriage, and the Hebraic pattern of marriage led you to marry, if I were, if I were a male and I marry this, this female, whether he is good or bad or, or doing well, I, I, would, I have to just love who I married. So, in the Hebrew concept, nothing like divorce. Nothing like my husband is not doing well, my wife is not doing well. They know by covenant of tradition that so long as I have entered into a partnership of covenant with you, it's for life. So, whatever you are, whether you are, of, whether you are demon-possessed, we will find a way to make it work. And that was why they are people of great discoveries. Anything that is challenging, they will, they will look into it, unravel it, settle it. Because to them, there is no going back. They move forward alone. If we had that kind of concept, we would think of solution rather than quitting. Am I talking to somebody here? We would rather think of solution. And we will not, we will not move or shiver. But we'll put into the principles that will bring solution until we break into the revelation that will give us the solution. It's the revelation. And so, before we pray, I come to my last point. How will a little child look at an adult woman and say to her, Oh no, madam, you made a mistake. We have a home. It's just that we don't have a house. Where to do what? Where to put it in? How? It means that that little child carries the right identity. Her identity is not destroyed. Somebody had told her that home is not about the building. Somebody had told her that marriage is not about the house. It's about a system in a house. It's about an atmosphere in a house. A system in a house. So family is a system inside a house. So the thing you should go and develop is a system. Forget the house. Am I talking to somebody here? What you should go and develop is a system. Until you develop the system that should be put in a house, it doesn't matter the kind of house you live in. I've met people live in palatial homes and in that big house there is no home. There's no home there. I've met people living in, in, in mushrooms but in that mushroom the system is there. And it won't belong out of that same mushroom. Either the child or the grandchild, the great man will rise. Am I correct? Some of the great men today that are great in the history of the world. Go and look where they came out from. They, 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 they never came out from very big or popular homes. So, what produces greatness? Is it about the big size of the family? The big size of the house? No, it's the system. Today, in this meeting, God will, God will teach you the system. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 is the word, is the initiation. Someone said the initiation. Someone shout the initiation. This thing called family is a system and an initiation must take place. So I, 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 I hit into the initiation because I was looking for how so I, I, I now discovered the initiation. They, they have an initiation. That's initiation in Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, 
the Lord thy God. The Lord is one. If you read the next verse, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and all of that, thy soul with all your mind and with all your strength. Stop there. This Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, was the covenant of initiation that God gave to Moses. That must be pronounced on every child of Israel. Every child of the Hebrew. Every child of the Hebrew that was born. On the day that that boy will be dedicated or that girl will be dedicated. Their dedication day is not, is not this uh, child dedication we do now. No. They do circumcision on eighth day. That is the first dedication. Initiation into the Abrahamic covenant. By blood. If it is a girl, they do another ritual that will recognize her as a member of the Abrahamic covenant. Then they will begin the school training. The homeschooling is homeschooling in the Torah. Homeschooling in the Torah. They will school them in the Torah for 13 years. By the time the, the Hebrew boy is 13 years, or the Hebrew girl is 13 years, he will celebrate a feast that is called Bar Mitzvah. Bar Mitzvah is like coming to celebrate what some society call age grade. Are you understand what I'm saying now? In some, in some cosmologies or communities, they call it age grade. But that thing is beyond, it's not just about age grade. It's an initiation that is that that brings them into sensibility and identity. Somebody say sensibility and identity. Please shout, it says sensibility and identity. It's an initiation that brings them into sensibility and identity. That on that day, the child will be presented to the high priest in the temple at 13. Then they will they will they will examine that child and scrutinize that child to be sure he or she knows about the Torah and can recite it. So at 13, a Hebrew boy can recite can recite the five books of the Bible. At 13 years, it can they can recite Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They know everything there. I am challenging you. How old are you? Can you recite the entire Genesis? I want you to know where their secrets are coming from. Where was the home? Where was the schooling done? Where? At home. And so, when this when this child has proven that that he can memorize the entire Torah, then they will bring him into the ceremonial ritual called Bamisfa. In that Bamisfa, where they read in Bamisfa is Deuteronomy chapter six verse four, because that was where that was the instruction God gave to Moses to read upon them. So, they will bring the Hebrew boy. Even if his name is David, David is not a name. If his name is Samuel, Samuel is not a name. They bring the Hebrew boy and the high priest will look at him and say, Hear all Israel. So, every one of them is called Israel. Did you hear what I said? Did you hear what I said? Every one of them is called Israel. So, hear all Israel. So, every Hebrew boy sees himself as a nation. Wherever they are, the nation is still alive. That was why. That was why Daniel was in Babylon. But each time he wants to pray, what does he do? He climbs and faces where? Jerusalem. No matter where they were, the sense and connection to Jerusalem, the altar of their identity, can never be deleted. They wanted to brainwash Daniel by the Babylonian, by Babylonian culture. It wasn't working. It wasn't working. Because these people are so tied to their identity that you can't remove it. 
That was why for 1,939 years, civilization could not delete their language. Civilization could not delete their culture. Civilization could not delete their intelligence. Because each of them, wherever they are, they see themselves as a nation. Every Hebrew boy calls himself Israel. I am Israel. If I fail here, Israel has failed. Has failed. If I compromise here, it's not about me, David. It's that Israel had compromised. That was why. That was why David saw Goliath and said, Who is he to defile the armies of Israel? He saw himself as a nation. He knew that if Goliath will insult me, he has insulted God of Israel. Every one of them carried the national identity of themselves. Oh. We'll do this tomorrow. Lift up your voice and talk to God. Say, Lord, redefine our concept of family. The last thing, listen to me. The last thing a Hebrew boy, a Hebrew man, the last thing a Hebrew man will do is to forget Jerusalem. Is to forget Zion. They said by the rivers of Babylon. There we sat down and wept. When we did what? When we remembered Zion. The last thing the Hebrew man is to forget Zion. For the wicked carried us away. It required of us what? How can we sing the Lord's song? Where? They, they are so connected to the, to the place of their development. They, they, don't, that is, you, they don't forget their place. Take them away to any strange country. You cannot reorient them. You cannot give them an orientation and blend them into their culture. No. You can't change them. Now, I am sad in my heart that if I look at the people who maintain the identity of their religion wherever they go, I will not call Christians. I will call our cousins. It is the, the religion of from our cousins. They are the ones that maintain it. We that call Christians. Any environment we enter, whatever is the culture, before you know, we have already adjusted and changed them. There will be no dif- nothing differentiates us with that environment. We are the same. Talk to God. Everything came from family. Everything happened from family. Here, O Israel, every, every Hebrew boy, every Hebrew girl does not see himself as one individual. They see themselves as Israel. I am Israel. If I fail, Israel has failed. If I compromise here, even this place is not, is not Jerusalem. Here is, is America. But if I compromise my culture here, Israel has failed. So, they hold it up. In Babylon, Daniel will not compromise his culture. They will not compromise it. All of those men, they knew wherever they are, there's a covenant on them. Talk to God. You must carry a national identity. What is the identity you must? You must know that you are from the other side. You are a Hebrew. You are a man from the other side. You, you dwell in the realm of, of mortals, but you came from immortality. That's what I'm trying to say. And this concept of immortality is not what you should learn in church. It's what you should learn at home. I pray for every one of you here who is yet to marry or who is headed to May you teach your family the way into the immortal. Lift up your hand and say, Oh Lord, may I show my own family the way into the immortal. 
some, some things about the immortal ways, they are not taught. They are not taught. They are just shown. They are revealed. Your life must show it. People will, when they live with you, they will begin to understand. How does he, how does he, because when you, when you approach it with logical mind, you approach it with a logical mind, you want to reason it in a way out and say, well, I don't know. Or if you, are, if you, if you allow familiarity to capture you, you will be in the realm where your life will be transformed and you'll be playing with it. You play with it. The realm of the immortal is a life that reveals it. So as you keep going, you are seeing the, a life is revealed. Lift up your voice. That's the only prayer you will pray. May my life reveal the immortal in my home at, at, at family level. Church is another institution. This is not the, 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 the practical institution for, for which God intended to do the training. Thank you for listening to this message. We believe you were blessed. Don't be left out in this last move of God in the nations of the earth. For more of this audio messaging, please click on the download link on our Facebook page at Kingdom Diplomat Engine or join us on Instagram 